On this Aviation special, we sit down with Avixa CEO Dave Labuskas talking about regulation, lobbying, and Avixa's role in the AV industry. All that and more next on this Aviation special. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is an aviation special of VIX's role in the AV industry. This is Tim Albright with Aviation with an Aviation special sitting down with my good friend, Mr. Dave Labuskas from Avixa. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim. Always good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, we were sitting down the 1st of April. Um, it was almost a, actually almost a year ago. Uh, you and I sat down and we discussed um, we, we, we at the time was called the canceling of, of Info, Infocom the show. It, it, you know, obviously, guys, you, you ended up doing a virtual version of that, Infocom Connected. Now we've moved, uh, you've moved, not we, I have nothing to do with this. Uh, you moved uh, Infocom the show to October, um, looking more and more, uh, more and more positive, quite frankly, uh, depending on where you are in the, in the U.S., at least, you know, um, getting the vaccine and folks, you know, getting back into some semblance of work. One of the things that you guys have done the last year, and in, in 2020, we had a lot of things happen in the industry and, and, and in culture in general. Uh, you were very gracious and, and kind to, to join um, me on an episode of AV Week that we did about race uh, inequality in the industry um, and in, in culture at, at large. Somewhere in there, right, Avixa started talking with the Diversity Council, and you guys came up with the AV industry pledge for, for an equitable future. And what you're asking folks to do is both individually and as companies, corporations, businesses um, can sign this, this commitment, um, this pledge. Talk for a second about why Avixa thought you felt that it was, it was the time to do this and, and what you're hoping to get out of it. There's so much in that, Tim. <laughs> why, why did we feel like we needed to do this? Um, uh, obviously, the um, the murder of George Floyd and the exposure and uh, recognition of systemic racism that uh, swept through the world um, following that tragedy um, came came to our doorsteps as well. And um, I think we as a, an association had recognized that there was a need for greater diversity within our industry. The Diversity Council you alluded to was established in 2018, well before May 25th. Yeah. Um, but like many organizations, companies, individuals, we realized we needed to do more. and. And I'm not one to be comfortable in any way to talk about something like this without putting action behind it. Um, that was the first internal debate was um, what type of statement should a VIXA make? What type of statement does our board make in regards to this? And if you recall, I'm sure you do, there was, there was a lot of allyship, but there was also a lot of, um, you know, uh, we too stand against systemic racism from brands and organizations. And 
I, I wanted, I didn't, I didn't want the disingenuity of simply saying that. Uh, I wanted us to genuinely and authentically be an advocate for a more diverse industry. We can't talk that talk without walking that walk. Um, so we engaged with the members that we already had in the conversation with the diversity council and and we look to them for insight we um, look to our employees that were facing these challenges on a day-to-day -day basis their entire lives and we asked them how are we doing as your employer um, and we also asked uh, what do you feel we can do as an association and so we ended up it's almost confusing at times because we had three different uh, initiatives taking place at the exact same time. One was an internal of VIXA as a place of employment, a place to work. Are we welcoming? Are we diverse? Are we uh, supporting equity and inclusion? Um, really quickly on that, because I don't want people to, to, to get the wrong, I, I guess I want to give you, I want to get you to give context here because VIXA is not just a North American company. You have employees globally, right? You have employees literally all around the world. So this wasn't just a North American conversation, right? This was, you know, from, you know, APAC to EMEA to, you know, South America. So this, this encompassed really a, a global conversation. Right. And made it that much more uh, complex, right? Yeah. For internally as an employee or an employer, because if you just run numbers, right, by virtue of that, I have an extraordinarily diverse workforce. I have many people of Asian descent working for me, but that's, they live in Singapore, they live in Hong Kong, they live in Mumbai and Delhi. Um, the, and and the, the issues are different around the world. Race issues in India are, are different than racist issues in the United States, um, but they're issues nonetheless. So we had that initiative going forward. We had the work that the Diversity Council wanted to do, which are purely volunteer members that are active and engaged and supporting them. And then I had a task force of volunteers, uh, just uh, one of them, Hanan just referred to it as a volunteer army of employees that look to what can we as the association do. Um, with a staffing support, with budgeting, et cetera. Well, frankly, actually, with very little budget, 2020 um, has been a, or was not exactly a great year for uh, associations uh, around the world. Um, the the fruits of that work, I think, will take years to evaluate, but they are. Um, some of the work of the task force is that which you're seeing um, just announced within the last couple of weeks um, with establishment of a resource page that isn't simply using work that we did, but also um, curating uh, information. At the core of that, what we, where we started at, we received some input initially from the council and our board leadership that um, if we were to think of ourselves as delivering a service to the industry to be the diversity officer, 
you know, there's there was lots of discussion, and and many organizations have established a chief diversity officer. But our industry is predominantly smaller organizations that don't have resources to be able to support that type of a full time employee. So what we what we undertook was uh, a responsibility to deliver the information and provide resources and guidance to resources that somebody in that role would do for one of our members. Um, and we've also uh, asked for uh, individuals, as you have seen, to take a pledge to commit to it, um, to commit to a more diverse industry. We've talked about diversity. You, you alluded to a conversation you and I had as part of a panel um, in the midst of this as well. Um, it, 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 we needed more action. So we, we're putting in place measurements. One of the, we know anecdotally that the AV industry, or we suspect anecdotally that the AV industry is middle-aged white guys. Um, and um, again, it, it isn't middle-aged white guys in uh, India uh, or in Mexico or in Brazil, um, but there is a there is a need for greater diversity within the industry. Um, how do we know whether or not we're being successful or not? Well, that's part of some of the surveys that we're doing right now, is so that we have. The ability to understand where what what is the baseline? Where are we? Again, we did the same thing for where are we with regards to diversity as an employer, um, and and monitor that and share it and be transparent about it. Um, we introduced the pass the mic program to to um, to Infocom Twenty One. Uh, we 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 have a stage. Um, and we have a much broader stage than the one that we used to think about with regards to the center stage at the show. Yeah. And when we say the center stage at the show, everybody in the United States thinks of Infocom and the stage. We have shows around the world and we have virtual events around the world and we have a web page and we have communities. And, and we want to engage and ask people to support and invite voices that we haven't heard from of people that are of color or of different gender or different backgrounds to bring bring their voice to that stage and by doing so one i think we'll enrich the conversation but two we'll we'll demonstrate that there's a home here there's 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 so much of a need to share that the, there's a there's a there's a door that's open and that we have a community here that is welcoming diverse thought welcoming people that don't look like us don't talk like us don't think like us are in different types of relationships than we're in um, and how can how can an industry that relies on creativity not be enriched by diverse backgrounds and thoughts. I mean, that's that's at the core of what creation is, what creativity is, is absolutely. innovative thoughts brought by diverse people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there, there is something that I've learned over the last few years and, and 
you know, focusing on this is, is there is a power in representation, right? There is a power in seeing somebody who looks like you and has a similar background as you doing something that you think that would be, it could be interesting, you know? Um, and, and so I, I appreciate the, the, the past, the mic program. And I appreciate this. One thing that you said there is, is the, is the diversity, kind of a diversity, um, um, chief, uh, for the industry. And that kind of leads us into our, our, our different conversation and, and something that's been happening uh, quite frankly for the last 10 years, but it's, it's really ramped up the last couple. And that's a conversation about where, where is Avixo? What, what is their place in this industry? What, what is their role? When you look at, at, and there's a couple of things here and, and some of the things that um, is, is come up I, quite, quite frankly in the last couple of months um, but let's talk about two specific ones. Um, but when you look at Avixa's role, what what is what is Dave Labuskas's definition of, of what is the role of Avixa in in the AV industry? Yeah, it. I don't think my definition of what Avixa is is important. I think what's important is what our membership's definition is, and. And our membership you, you, is. You are the CEO, so I it's am a the little. CEO. It's a little important. <laughs> but you, the the board of directors is the governing body of the association. It's made up of volunteer members. Now I, I attend and sit and work with the board every day. Um, so no, I'm not trying to um, abdicate any responsibility here. Uh, what? we have clearly identified as the mission for Avixa is twofold. One is to be the hub for the AV profession. And the second is to be a catalyst for the growth of the AV marketplace. And I look to everything we do as an organization through one of those two lenses with an effort to impact uh, a serving in that fashion. So a trade show is clearly an opportunity to be a catalyst for market growth, in particular mm-hmm. when you attract and bring end users. But it also is a catalyst for market growth, helping the channel be more efficient, helping the channel um, move product from manufacturer to uh, integrator um, efficiently and effectively. Uh, and and we are all anxiously awaiting uh, in the U.S. October and other shows around the world for that professions hub for the community, the place of gathering, both physically and virtually. The thousands of people that will attend classes are there to uh, learn from each other. And I... I I have watched uh, it since since I became CEO. Um, there are a number of trade shows that um, we started, and what I uh, I'm going to use India as my my example here. What I watched is the fact that those trade shows actually lead towards individuals defining themselves as AV professionals. We actually help to crystallize the fact that we are a profession that is um, unique and different from other professions. Um, I, I, I think that's our role. Now, how do you, so, so those are two pretty lofty statements, right? And I think 
where you're heading to is what do we do to actually move those levers? What what or Certainly. what levers do we have to achieve that, right? So trade shows one I talked about. Another one is certification and delivering an ISO accredited certification to the world that allows a professional to identify themselves as somebody that is capable and knowledgeable about the AV profession, the CTS program with the CTSD and the CTSI. Um, we provide the education uh, resources that um, serve as a foundation as well as a gathering point for the industry. We develop standards. Um, there's, there's an infinite list of requests and or suggestions um, that are, are made of an industry association. And that's not unique to Avixa. Every industry association CEO I've ever met has uh, a thousand more requests a month from their membership than they can possibly deliver on. Yeah. So you begin to look at, just as you would in your business, where can I impact our core purpose as if, where can I have the greatest impact with the most efficient use of resources? One of the things that you, you mentioned there is, a, is that we are a profession, right? We are certainly a profession and, and we have certifications. And, and one of the requests that, that I know come up a lot is the, the policing of that. Of those of those certifications and the certifications I'm, I'm, I'm talking about for, for clarification is CTS, CTSI, and CTSD, Certified Technology Specialist. And you know, one one of the the questions is is how how does Avixa maintain the quality of those while not policing that, while not um, taking the opportunity to verify uh, designs or verify installations. Um, what, what would your response to that be? Yeah, I, I put this in the category of, um, quality police, okay. uh, and, and I don't mean to be dismissive with that categorization, but, um, the, the challenge is you, the, the argument being that, um, a VIXA should step in and take somebody's CTS away if they do a bad job, um, or, um, that we should um, provide um, some validation or certification of the actual work being done by an integrator. Um, the, those, are, those are great ideas, except when you look to how would you actually execute on any of that? And what, what are you moving into when you begin to get involved in that? We do have a certification committee that is responsible for the certification. It's an independent committee uh, because of the um, ISO standards that we adhere to. Um, they have an ethics committee. We have a ongoing development of items for the tests themselves. The item writers, I believe, get together twice a year um, to develop new test questions. And test questions are consistently moved out and moved into the test. So what I'm talking about here is sort of the, what is, what is the validity of the test itself? And then 
the next stage is what is the validity of the certification? So the validity of the test is highly prescribed processes to, to get to that point. Um, the item writers being brought from around the world ask or developing questions that are based on an entire profession of um, test development and test evaluation. Uh, questions uh, are presented in those exams out of a database that is that some are test questions, some are um, not, some are questions that are being tested. <laughs> this is tough to talk about being questions being tested in a test question. Um, that, uh, and uh, every question is evaluated. And so if, if questions are consistently answered incorrectly, those are flagged to identify, are they unnecessarily or inappropriately obscure, or are they uh, phrased in a fashion that is uh, confusing, um, and, and or are they valid questions and they're just hard, um, which is part of why we don't publish a passing grade, because these tests are put together randomly from a database, right? And so when you have 125 questions, um, Maybe, Tim, you got 110 of the hardest questions in the database because they were randomly pulled. Um, your, your measure of expertise is adjusted based on the challenge of the question so that, um, so that the test is fair because that fundamentally is the first step to quality of the certification is that the test is fair. Um, and is evaluating you relative to a body of knowledge uh, in a fashion that is um, measurably the same as it measures me in, in regards to the body of knowledge. We then have the RU program. So you have to renew the certification and you have to demonstrate that you're continually learning in order to renew that. And the, the certification is taken away if you don't make that commitment to it. Um, the, the quality of the work of that individual becomes very judge or very subjective. I, I don't, don't know how you would possibly execute on that program. Uh, I, do we have a hotline where somebody calls and says, Dave totally filed this job up and shouldn't be allowed to use his CTS anymore. Now, do we send a, a jury to the job site? Um, who pays for that? Um, what, uh, what do you use to make the evaluation? Um, what are the uh, work standards and um, what is the practices whether you are in um, Ireland or in Latvia or in Colombia, um, we're, we're a global organization supporting the profession and being a catalyst for market growth of a hundreds of billions of dollars industry. There's just no way to scale that. And there's no way to actually execute on it. Maybe so. The, so one of the solutions would be I outsource it, right? So I have an, a VIXA approved 
licensor in every region. Well, that'll be great, except for the fact that I'm going to be licensing that to your competitor, who's now going to come and evaluate your work. Uh, I just, ultimately, I look at, you know, what does work? What does work is the market. The market works. And it is, it is clear that if you do good work and service your customer well, then you will get more work and you will be rewarded for it. You will be paid. Um, what we give you an offer with the certification and with the standards and with programs like Apex is an ability to differentiate yourself. Uh, it is not a, a it is not a license to practice. It is a demonstration of capability. When you move to license to practice, so that's the next step, right? So that's the next, you know, these, this is not the first time I've engaged in this conversation, Tim, right? I mean. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Nor, nor the last, just for the record. <laughs> no, I know that. And I, I think it's great. I mean, and, and if somebody can solve these challenges, then it falls directly into being the hub for the AV profession and being a catalyst for market growth, right? Um, Regulation, so laws are passed regarding life and safety. There, there is no law that your um, billboard must be tastefully produced. There, 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 is, there is a law that the billboard can't block traffic. There is a law and or there are building codes that limit the size of signage because the community has made determinations about that. Yeah. Um, there are regulations that um, reflect the um, requirements for safe construction, uh, for the safe installation of infrastructure. Um, there is absolutely some developing discussion about what is infrastructure, right? Even in the US, we're having that conversation this yeah, week. especially now. Right? Um, and, and we bump into that discussion in the area of cyber security, cyber threat, uh, broadband access, all of which are aspects of our industry as well. Um, and as those potentially get regulated, we would be monitoring those. Um, but there's 195 countries in the world. Um, people from 149 of them attended ISE last year. Uh, what, is the, what is the practical reality of trying to influence legislation at a national level at 195 of those countries? And, 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 and where do you stop? Yeah. That, that is, yeah, that, that is the one area where uh, I think you and I diverge is, is the, the thing that came up a couple months ago, we, we covered it here. Um, sure, is, is lobbying um, the FCC to curtail some, some uh, wireless sell-off. And um, I, I want to ask you kind of a, a question in a roundabout way. 
here in the U.S., and I, I need to point these things out, right? Because here in the U.S., the FCC is the Federal Communications Commission. That's who handles and that's who, who governs the airwaves um, for the U.S. In Canada, I, I want to say it's the CBC or the, CC, um, um, the Canadian Communications Commission. Uh, different countries have these different bodies, but everybody has one, right? Because 100 years ago, when we discovered that we could send signals over the air, every country said, okay, well, we've got to make sure that, that they're, they're there for the public good. Over the last 20 years, the U.S. version of that has, has deemed it necessary to sell off certain portions of, of that wireless spectrum to the detriment of, of our industry, right? To the detriment of manufacturers as well as integrators and quite frankly, as, as, to end users as well. There is an organization here in the States called the CTA, the, you know, the Consumer Technology Association. They're the guys that put on and gals who put on this CES show every year. What is the difference then in here? And it may be the fact that, that CTA is, is only US-based and I'm, I'm okay with that answer. But looking at five or six hot button, you know what, a VIX has got to make sure that these are, these are, are held true or, or make sure that, that our members are, are, are protected in these areas. The other ones are kind of maybe gray or, or squishy, right? But wireless spectrum, and, and this is a specific question, wireless spectrum seems to be one of those areas that does impact everybody across the board, right? Anybody that's going to Infocom in, in Orlando, they're all impacted by this one issue. What is, what is kind of the difference between maybe looking at CTA or some other organizations and gathering your members together and saying, you know what, y'all, this is going to take some money, but I think it's important for us to all to get together, all of us to band together from Sure to Sennheiser, because they'll both be impacted, to Harman, to AVISPL, to USC, right? Where, where do you fall in that? And what, where, where does that make sense at all? Or, or is, is there still some, some issues with, with lobbying on a country by country basis. And then what do you do? So, okay, everybody, let's unite. Let's, we, we have to do something. What do you do? What do you do then? Do well, you I lobby, but I'm not a lobbyist. So I, I don't know right. exactly like the, right. the, the, so do I, do I hire a lobbyist? Sure. Okay. So that's probably half a million dollars. Uh, in, oh, easily. In, in, in I'm the first, hundreds in the of first move. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's before they get to work. Um, and, one lobbyist and and you know, I, I, I absolutely how, how can I refute the sentiment of what you just said right I mean but but let's look at the pragmatism of it um, sure did hire a lobbyist and Sennheiser did hire a lobbying firm and they didn't they didn't say hey Dave you is going to be able to do a better job for us so we're going to take that money and give it to you to do this effort. Um, the, it, it comes down to how many of those issues actually exist. And it wouldn't actually impact everybody that attends Infocom. It would only impact those who attend Infocom that do business in the United States. And, and that's about 65, 70% of my membership at this point. Um, so I'm going to take the money for uh, that, that members are committing to the association, which incidentally is what a couple hundred dollars a year, or maybe a thousand dollars a year. If you, if you move into an advocacy practice, you, you, you can't, you can't do it on the cheap. 
I mean, I mean, you you can't. There, there's no inexpensive lobbying. There's grassroots efforts. Yeah. Right. And so that is what we do. Actually, we we shine a light on these issues. I mean, we're involved in making sure people are aware of that issue. We provide a stage to ensure people can talk to that issue and amplify it, if you'll avoid the pun, of that that issue. Um, we monitor legislation around the United States and actually around the world. There was a import uh, program again in India that was preventing uh, a lot of the manufacturers that were um, based in the U.S. Um, being able to import projectors into the Indian market at, at a certain point. And we got involved in that by providing uh, support for opposition of that legislation. We provide notification to our members when there's legislation that could potentially impact them. One of the one of the areas that impacts the integration side of our business the most often is an attempt for licensing. Um, and mm. typically it ends up being um, an, um, a licensed trade. Um, we use electricians as one of the examples, a licensed electricians attempting to uh, eliminate the exemptions for low voltage systems. And or um, again, with as with almost everything in our lives, there's a there's a greater um, blurring of boundary between what is a low voltage system and what is not a low voltage system when you move to power over ethernet. Um, and what is the appropriate line uh, to be drawn there with regards to uh, health and safety. Um, the, when those bills look to be moving forward into different state uh, legislatures, then we notify all of our membership that, hey, this is, this is coming before the uh, state legislature, you should write your representative, write your senator and, and and or appear and we will encourage them to and oftentimes support them in appearing before committee staff and uh, hearings. Um, it's a it's a defense kind of an advocacy. It's a let's make sure bad laws don't get passed that hurt our industry. Not so much, let's make sure good laws do get passed. Um, and so much of those needs are being met through other um, resources that, again, uh, when, when you look at some of these organizations that were formed fundamentally to be advocacy-based organizations, they're charging their members hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to deliver that service. Um, I just, I never, I never hear anybody saying, I want to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars a year for Avixa to be a lobbying firm. Um, they, the, the needs of those who are um, impacted by these regulations for the very most part are being met by them directly, not, not looking to us to do it. So could we do it? Maybe, um, but are we being asked to do it by anybody that actually would be able to pay for it? No. Um, I think that's an important distinction, right? Um, no, I'm not going to pay you $100,000 a year, uh, but I am one of those people asking you for it. 
But last year, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, last year was obviously a, a difficult year financially, right? Um, as we wrap up here, there, there are two organizations, and, and one is a Vixen, one is the foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk for a second about kind of the the um, the differences when when it looks at when we look at regulations and and the the structure from a business standpoint and a um, I guess a tax standpoint again here in the states that you you you're you're um, registered here. And, and how that impacts certain things that you can and can't do. Yeah, um, okay. So the Avixa Inc. is a 501c6. Uh, and, and I won't dive too far into these and put everybody... Real, real probably yeah, everybody's level, already level here. probably everybody's already asleep after listening to me ramble on about some of these other issues. But so the the the, the association is a five hundred one c six. The foundation is a five hundred one c three. They are both not for profit organizations, and they are both um, there. There are no shareholders of either organization. There's there's no. Um, no, nobody is enriched by owning Avixa or the Avixa Foundation. Um, they are uh, a five hundred one c six is uh, typically the structure that's used for trade associations. So CTA you mentioned is a five hundred one c six. GSMA in the news is uh, is a five hundred one c six. NSCA is a five hundred one c six. These these organizations are um, the reason that we are um, offered nonprofit uh, or non taxable status is because we do um, work for the social good. In essence, Um, the five hundred one c three structure is set up to predominantly be charitable. So your local food pantry is probably a 501c3. Your church is probably a 501c3. Um, the, the, there are limitations in how and what type of work you can do. And a, typically a 501c3 cannot do lobbying. The 501c6 can, but it changes your structure. It changes your reporting requirements. Um, and, and, and there are, there are better structures for that. Um, they, they, the other piece, I guess I'll use this question to, to get out there is, um, that not for profit is a tax status, not a business model. Right. So, so just, just like your business, we need to bring more money through the door than we spend yeah, or so. we will go out of business. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, and so again, there's the challenge that every association CEO has is what to say no to, not what to do um, because there's an infinite list of possibilities. Uh, what we have to do is identify where we can have the greatest impact with the resources we have. Did I answer your question? You did. And okay. that's a perfect place to stop. I appreciate it, sir. Dave Labuskis from Avixa. How do people connect with you if they are so inclined, sir? They can follow me on Twitter at David Labuskis. They can reach me via email at dlabuskis at avixa.org. Um, and you probably see me around. 
especially you. within the next couple of months as we all get out there. I hope everybody's staying healthy. Fingers crossed. We'll see you in, in the fall uh, in Orlando. So thank you so much, sir. Uh, for us at Aviation, go by our website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You'll find programs like this and a host of others, including our two weeklies, one that looks at the residential side of the industry and one that looks at the commercial side. All that and more at aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. 